Niche Mutual, farming insurance experts. Welcome to episode five of this first series of Farming Focus, the new podcast being made by Cornish Mutual for Southwest Farmers. I'm your host, Peter Green, and throughout this series, we're looking at resilience from many different viewpoints. Today is all about communication and connecting with the public. How can telling our farming stories help not only the reputation and resilience of the farming industry as a whole, but also our own farms, influencing both how we're perceived in the local community and wider. Why is having positive farming PR really important for the overall resilience of the sector? To discuss the topic, I'm joined by two seasoned commentators who wear slightly different hats. First up, we have Anna Jones, who is an experienced radio and television broadcast journalist as well as the founder of Just Farmers, a communications project linking the media and farmers. I'm also joined by Kendra Hall, who, as well as being an account director with Reverberate PR, where she helps clients with their communication strategy, is undertaking a a Nuffield scholarship on the subject of building trust in British farming through increased transparency of on-farm livestock production. Anna, Kendra, welcome to Farming Focus. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Yes, I'm really happy to be here. Great stuff. So, um, Anna, I'll start by asking you the same question that we put to all of our guests when they first join us. Can you tell us about your first farming memory? It's a brilliant question, and I've never been asked that before. So, yeah, (laughs) it's nice to be asked a question I've never been asked before. (laughs) I bet. So I was given this some thought over breakfast this morning, and I think my first kind of really visceral, clear I can conjure the feeling of being in that moment is being a little girl and standing in gateways with cold feet. And that just seemed to be such a constant throughout my childhood of standing on frozen ground in wellies, which are not warm at all, waiting for sheep. And I'd just be kicking molehills or poking a stick in a puddle or just being bored in a gateway waiting for the sheep to come past. Very good. Kendra, same question for you. What's your sort of earliest rural memory, please? Yeah, so I mean, I didn't grow up on a commercial farm, but back in the States, we had about 40 acres and horses. And when I think of home as a little kid, I think of the smell of hay and (laughs) getting all scratched up by the hay bales as you're climbing around them as well. I have a very vivid memory of being on our ponies with my next door neighbor uh, without an adult around, which we were not allowed to do. And my friend, my friend's pony bucked her off. I just remember that being like, oh God, we're going to get in so much trouble. We were probably seven, um, but everything was fine. Nobody got hurt. But yeah, it, I, I think when I think of home, I think of the smells. I think of the hay, the horses, the dew. Like it's, it's all very romantic, isn't it? When you think about stuff like that. Oh, Totally. Yeah, misshapen bales, the bane of my dad's life. We'd be in the straw building castles and, you know, just wrecking small bales of straw. Yeah, best not go there. And if you dared to get on the silage bales in shoes, on the black wrap silage bales, and they caught you on there in your shoes, you'd get in trouble. But you blame that on the farm cats, Anna. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why we had them, wasn't it? <laughs> Brilliant. So we've heard a bit about both of your farm stories or your rural stories, and and that's great. Thank you. But Anna, 
how do we help farmers? How do you help farmers to tell their stories? You know, there's there's many different media competing for everyone's attention. Um, there was a Times article from April this year saying that the average person scrolls through, I don't know, 13 meters of, of online content a day. How do you recommend that that farmers cut through that noise to really get people to connect with their story? At Just Farmers, which is the nonprofit organisation that I founded in 2018 to help farmers improve their communication skills, we run media education workshops. And the thing we start with first is getting our farmers to stop thinking like farmers and start thinking like storytellers. Because so often... It's, well, I've got this interesting thing that I do every day and everybody else should find it interesting. And I think, well, why? Just because you find it interesting. You have to understand the skill of telling a story. You have to understand what a journalist is looking for if you're trying to pitch a story. And you need to understand what makes a story. So we really go right back to basics. It's more like journalism training, really, trying to develop a sense of editorial judgment, a sense of news judgment within the farmers themselves so they can think critically about what the story is that they want to tell. And they can ask themselves honestly, is this something that only I'm interested in because I work in a very niche sector? Or is this genuinely something that the general public or a wider audience will care about? Yeah, because I think um, it's quite common to see social media feeds from farmers, which I find fascinating as a farmer. But you sort of think, well, are they aiming this at farmers? It, it seems like quite often they are. But actually, you're right. There's quite often the nugget of a story that's so interesting to the end consumer. Kendra, this is something which you've looked at, I think, in your Nuffield. It's understanding how we can engage more with the end consumer, particularly to make sure we get their trust. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, adding on to what Anna was talking about, I think the thing that really cuts through to people is they really feel like you're being authentic and that you're being honest and that you're being really candid. I think that's something that people really love because it seems to be less common these days. Everybody kind of wants to have this polished picture of what they do and this almost rehearsed set of lines, this rehearsed story. And and, and that's fine, you know, if you're just trying to prepare, but it's that real authenticity and that real like, this is it. And it's the good, the bad, the ugly that's something that can really help cut through all this other noise because a lot of that is very, you know, it's very polished, it's professional, it's it's very slick. And I think people yeah. can see through that. They they can they can tell. They could I don't think people can explain how they know, but they know when someone's being real. And I think that that's that's a really key thing that has really come out of my Nuffield scholarship. Everybody I speak to that's successful at, at engaging with the public, it's just about being real. Cornish Mutual farming insurance experts founded for farmers by farmers in 1903 uh, sometimes i think we kind of get wrapped up in this idea that farmers need to be telling their story or the industry story for the industry's sake that that sometimes i think people feel pressured that they have to kind of save this huge industry just in their little patch of ground and that's really important and that storytelling does lend itself to let's say farming's brand overall but it's really important to remember that there are really good benefits at a community level. And it's not always about being this big influencer and, and talking to tens of thousands of people. With my Nuffield travels, I think I started at this big industry place, like, oh, we've got to do stuff for the industry's sake. 
But actually what I've learned that is the real impacts are at the local level. Sometimes it's just being a good member of your community and engaged in your community and talking to your neighbors. It doesn't have to be. I'm an Instagram influencer or I'm a, you know, I'm a politician or whatever. It's those little micro relationships that actually are more impactful and that they are actually longer lasting. It's important to remember that those really small relationships are actually really important for resilience at your own business level as much as resilience for the industry. So everything that Kendra has just said, I've been nodding along vigorously because I've had a very similar experience of hearing from farmers that are successful at communication. It comes down to those two words that Kendra said, being real and being authentic. And Just Farmers actually came out of my Nuffield Farming Scholarship as well. So we've both had these experiences of going around the world and talking to farmers about the communication challenges within the industry and sort of come up with the same answer of it's about this authenticity. Now, for Kendra and I, who are communications professionals, if you like, it's what we do for our living. It sounds very easy to do that, but it's amazing how many farmers do not find that easy to be that kind of real inverted commas character on camera on or on a microphone. That's what we do at Just Farmers. So before we even get a camera out or a microphone out, we really have to do a lot of work on building that core self-confidence. And often the farmer who might be listening to this thinking, oh, that really isn't for me. I can't do that. Often what they need is just the permission to do it. And for somebody that they trust and respect to be able to say, you do have a story, you do have a voice. And a lot of people, if you want to share it, will find it fascinating. I think we've got into a situation in our industry where we've sat back and allowed the real big guns to do it for us, like Manette Batters and people that are out there on the front line, really giving it some when it comes to communication with the government or the public or policymakers or whatever it might be. And think, well, there we go. I I pay my membership to the NFU. I'm doing my bit. Well, the thing is, Manette um, is fantastic at what she does, but she's also a politician and she's also the leader of a membership organisation. And her duty is to her members and her duty is to the NFU as a broad church. So Manette can't really say what she thinks. She's always speaking on behalf of the NFU. And that's where I think there's a vacuum sometimes. We need the farmers alongside Manette and people like her giving their individual, personal, tangible experience and individual opinion, because you can't just rely on member organisations to do it for you all the time. But I just want to add, not everyone's cut out for it. Like, I'm not going to say to everyone listening to this podcast, oh, you must become an influencer or, or a communicator or whatever, because not everyone wants to be. And we do live in an age where there's this weird social pressure to be on Instagram or be on TikTok or be doing this, doing that. You know, if you don't want to do that, you really don't have to. And that's fine, too. So, um, yeah, that would be another message I would put out there. Cornish Mutual, farming insurance experts. It's quite easy for farmers to be quite defensive and to anticipate that the community around them might have an issue if there's muck on the road and they're putting potatoes in in March or if they're carrying grain for harvest. But actually, by just talking to people and engaging with them, they know a bit more about what you're doing, don't they? And and actually, that feeling of being under attack 
can disappear and that can lift a weight and it can really improve people's mental health as well. And that's something we're really looking at in this series as well, while we're focusing on resilience. Anna, I don't know if you want to come in on that one. When we get to talking to your local community and dealing with criticism and dealing with challenge, I do turn into a bit of a critical friend of the farmer where I do sort of hold a bit of a mirror up to some of their Things that they say and, you know, coming from a traditional farming community who are quite resistant to change in their community, quite resistant to the social changes, i.e. incomers, blow-ins and people that don't understand farming. And there's so much intolerance that sometimes I have to call it out. And I'm like, look, We are living in a changing world with changing demographics and our countryside is changing. And if our countryside doesn't change, it's going to get left behind and it will probably just wilt. And it always comes down to communication. Don't sit behind your farm gate moaning with your own little echo chamber of moaning farmers, because what does that actually achieve? Yes, I think... I will say I do think a good moan does make a lot of farmers feel better. And let's face it, we all love a bit of a moan, don't we? Absolutely right, Anna. It's when it starts to really that cutting off your nose to spite your face kind of thing. And when that when it's constant, you know, when it's it's you know persistent, but actually there needs to be that that brightness, that levity, doesn't there? There does. And and I think that's what you know, I was thinking about what does resilience mean to me? Mm. And and I think resilience to me and I can probably give a journalistic example of how I try and use it in my career, is when something doesn't go quite to plan, how can I turn that around and make it into what looks like I was supposed to be doing all along? Do you know what I mean? It's like if you fall over, it's like, oh, I meant to do that. (laughs) And I think that's about adaptation, isn't it? So resilience is about adapting to change and adapting to unexpected changes. And I think that's really relevant for farmers particularly now. I mean, God, they're dealing with some changes that would happen over years in the past are happening within months now. And I think that ability to adapt and look for something positive in that rather than just letting it get your head down. I think that's what resilience is to me. Right. That's great. So Kendra, I mean, a lot of our listeners probably won't know, but you have a whole other career with the US Paralympic team playing, uh, is it seated volleyball? I mean, you must have met some people who've exhibited incredible levels of resilience, and I'm sure you have yourself. But for, for you, what does resilience mean? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's about relationships. It's just being a good neighbor and being a good person. But there are lots of things you can do. You know, I I know a lot of farmers that put regular little articles in their parish newsletter or their local newsletter. And and that's about just letting the community know what you're up to, you know, because when we have farms and it's silage season, there's going to be big tractors blocking the roads and, you know, it's going to make people's lives maybe a little bit more difficult. But you either get ahead of that or at least let people know what's going on as it's happening, that the tractors are on the road because we're getting silage so that we can feed the cows over the winter that sort of thing it's just again it's just getting them involved and letting them know what's going on it can just be a really nice way of bringing them into your business 
while being able to do your business and not having people all over, if that makes sense. It's just getting out into the community and talking to people and just getting involved. Perhaps if you've got a corner of the farm, maybe you let the village use that for a festival or, you know, it's just little things like that. Inviting groups onto your farm for Open Farm Sunday. It's just, yeah, opening your doors and, and being there. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting because I think it's quite easy for people to just think, I'll just go on social media, I'll put some photos out there or I'll, you know, tell people what I'm doing. But actually, there'll be a lot of people for whom social media is a terrifying thing. And actually, we've talked already about the importance of engaging with our local community. So could we maybe unpack some of the ways that farmers might be able to engage more locally and, and perhaps not necessarily with, with social media? I mean, Anna, I don't know if you want to pick up on that one. I think that means going to stuff. And that's easier said than done. My family, we weren't brilliant at going to stuff, to be honest, because dad would be really knackered at the end of the day. And if there was, I don't know, something going on in the village hall, there would be a lot of times when we wouldn't go because we were tired and, you know, there's always something to do and families are always busy. And looking back on it now, I think probably I wish that we'd gone to more I mean, we did. Like, mum went to WI and there was wish drives and that we were in Girl Guides and Brownies and all of those things. But we could have done more to have been really integral in our community. And I've seen other fa farming families do it. Mum and dad got some very good friends who are really, really into the community. And they're not just into the farming community. They're part of all the other little communities. So countryside areas are now quite diverse when you think of the people that live there. You can be in your own farming community, but are you also going to hang out with the parents at the school? Are you going to join some clubs? Are you even going to set up some things that might even bridge that invisible barrier between the locals and the incomers. I, I think that's a really interesting space where not enough people are really working to bridge that divide in, in small communities. So I suppose, you know, when you're dropping the kids off at school and you're busy, just take a minute rather than rushing straight home, have a look on the community notice board, see what's going on and go to something and talk to some people when you're there and tell them that you are the local pig farmer or the dairy farmer up the road or whatever it is that you do and just start some chats. That's probably where I would start. And I wish we'd done more of that when I was growing up, to be honest. Very good. Great stuff. Um, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. We've heard a bit about Just Farmers. Kendra, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about your Nuffield and what you've learned from it in terms of building that trust in British farming? You know, we've heard about the positive relationship between the public and, and UK ag uh, and how there's, you know, there's that will to, to want to engage with British farmers. But, you know, what was the, the particular issue that, that you felt needed exploring? And are you just looking at that relationship between the consumer and the producer or is it other stakeholders in the supply chain? Yeah, great. All great questions. Um, I think I, I started on this journey with Nafield coming from a place I've always been really interested in this space between the public and farmers. But I, I think for me, it's a space that I've always been really fascinated in. I'm not from a farming background, but as a non-farmer, I'm absolutely fascinated with how people manage to get food in the grocery stores day in and day out, year after year. And I found it, the more I learned, the more fascinated I became. And I thought there has to be something in this. Like I can't be the only person. And I, I think also just kind of in my position in the industry, you know, you end up, you go to a farm to talk to them about what they're doing and you end up sitting around the kitchen table with a cup of tea. And I kept getting this sense that 
Farmers were afraid of the public. They saw them as this kind of scary being that potentially hated them and hated everything they stood for. And, and it just did not align with what I was seeing in my everyday life. Most of my friends are not farmers. And, you know, my husband and I effectively live in the suburbs and, it, you know, people are interested in food and, and it just didn't, it didn't align. So I took this Nuffield as a, as a real chance to look at this close, more closely. It's not really in my day job, but it's something I'm really interested in. I think it's really important. I wanted to see how we could, I guess, be more open and more honest about what farming is. How most of our food is produced. I'm particularly was interested in looking at talking about intensive farming systems. I'm... You know, the, the average person sees in the grocery store, they see cows out in fields, pigs rolling in mud, um, chickens pecking at grass. And, that, and that's not necessarily the reality of where most of our food on the grocery shelves comes from. And so I saw it as a big risk reputationally for the industry, that if expectations don't align with reality, and then all of a sudden somebody sees on, you know, BBC Panorama that that's not how food is raised, then we have a real issue with trust because people feel it, it wasn't intentional necessarily, but they feel they've almost been lied to and that, oh my God, like, I, I don't understand that. That looks crazy. Look at all of that metal and look at how these cows are being handled and that sort of thing. So yeah. that was where, that was why I went on this. And I think most of what I've learned along the way has come back to what we've been talking about already in this session. It's about relationships. It's about being authentic and being open about everything in the, in the supply chain. It's not just about farmers doing this. I really want to stress that. This is about the food supply chain. I think that as an industry, we have to really support farmers and other members of the supply chain who choose to tell that story. It's about sharing our values with the public, showing them that we care. We don't always get things exactly right. And that's okay, but we have to put our hands up and we have to say that and own it and, and say this is how we're working to do better. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack. I can't get it all into just a few seconds on a podcast. But in November, the Nuffield Farming Conference is in Exeter. So if you want to learn more, you should come along to that. This is it. Perfectly placed for Southwest farmers to, to get down to Sandy Park, as I understand, and uh, to hear what you, Kendra, and a, and a number of other, your fellow Nuffield scholars have got to say. Yeah, I'm hoping to get there, and I'm sure sure lots of other listeners will as well. Just going back to the points you made there, though, as, as farmers and growers, we are incredibly privileged to be in that position where we're providing three meals a day for people, aren't we? And there's that implicit trust that we're going to do it to the best of our ability. And by and large, you know, as, as British and, and particularly Southwest farmers and growers, we do. But I think you're absolutely right. We just need to build up the understanding of, of what's behind what we're doing and, and how the food does get to the supermarket or to people's plate. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I want to add as well, I think another really important element of this that we often forget about is this is more about listening than it is about telling. If we want to build trust and we want to engage, this is a two-way street. This is not educating people. This is not shoving facts down their throats. This is about saying, come into what I'm doing, see what we're doing. What do you think about this? It's about conversation. And I think that that's something that we have to get better at is listening to the public and understanding their values and what they want in their food. And they're the people that buy it at the end of the day. They're a really important stakeholder in the supply chain. And they often kind of, I feel, get kind of conveniently forgotten. So I think it's important that we really involve them when we're building these systems and coming up with all these policies. And, you know, there's a lot of great stuff happening, but they have yep. to be they have to be included in those conversations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Anna, just take picking one point uh, up on what Kendra said there. What do you think the risk is if farmers aren't proactive in telling their story? 
there's several risks. One is that you will become irrelevant and that you will lose your understanding of the consumer. So it's not just about the, the consumer understanding you. If you don't do anything to engage, the world will move on without you. And you will find yourself producing a product for people you don't know. And any business should know that the first rule of business is to understand your customer and your market. We don't live in post-war Britain anymore, where people are just constantly, eternally grateful for food and grateful for the farmer for feeding them. You've got to work harder than that now. We're not in, we're not in rationing. We have plenty of food and it can come from all over the world. It doesn't have to be British and cheaply. I mean, yes, it's more expensive now, but for, the, for most people, it's still affordable. So this idea of sitting back and resting on our laurels and expecting this automatic eternal gratitude from the public for food, those days are gone. And if you rest on that alone and you don't do anything to maintain that relationship, as Kendra has said, uh, on your head be it, is, is what I would say. And it's very easy to sit back and moan and blame others. And I see that. I see that all of the time. And it makes me really frustrated. And I get angry at it. And I'm a farmer's daughter from a farming community, a Nuffield farming scholar, an agricultural journalist. I couldn't understand the pressures on this industry anymore. I have huge sympathy, huge empathy, huge understanding of the pressures on farmers. Now, if I, with all of that understanding, if I'm still getting angry with farmers that just moan and don't do anything to make it better, how is someone who has none of that background or understanding going to feel? So stop playing the victim. You're not the victim. Most farmers are actually very privileged and have a very, very good life compared to many people in this country. Step up and do what's needed to make sure that British food and farming remains relevant for the population of the British Isles in years to come would be what I say. Fantastic. Wow. What a way to, uh, to end that segment of the show. Thank you so much for all your thoughts. It's my job now to try and distill everything, Kendra and Anna, that you've said down into three showstoppers, which we like to do every podcast. Not an easy challenge, but I will give it a go. I think the first thing that strikes me, because it's probably the first thing that people need to do, is to take that leap. Just try something, you know, be authentic. Talk to people about what's really going on in your farm. It doesn't have to be gilded. Ideally, it would be warts and all. I think then go to stuff, get out, talk to people. You know, we've all, we've just heard it's about relationships. It's It's not about being a victim. It's about being an advocate for farming and engaging with people and making sure that they understand what it is that we're doing. But the third point is it's not just about telling them it's got to be two way. You know, we've got to listen. We've got to understand our customer. We we can't just rest on our laurels and say, I've always produced milk and I'm going to keep producing milk this way. Perhaps it's actually about milk solids. Perhaps it's about having a vending machine. Perhaps it's about ice cream or cheese or just something different but listen to what it is that people want because if we don't listen and our businesses aren't fit for the future then 
there is no resilience. We we aren't ready. We aren't set to go because chances are if we're in this business, we're doing it because we love it, not because it, it pays us a fortune. If we want to keep doing it because we love it, we need to make sure our businesses are fit for the future. Anna, Kendra, does that sound about right? Is there anything you'd like to add? I think you nailed it, Peter, really. I think those are the main takeaways from my perspective. Oh, yeah, I couldn't have distilled it better than that. That was brilliant. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. Well, look, I have had an absolute blast talking to you about this. I could have gone on for hours, but um, I think our editor would probably have throttled me. So um, we will end with what is, without a doubt, the most important question, certainly of today's podcast, possibly that you will have been asked in a very, very long time. When it comes to cream teas, is it jam first or cream first? Kendra, over to you. Oh, God. As an American, I always get really anxious when people ask me this question because I never know what the right answer is. When it, I, I care a lot about the structural integrity of the food that I eat. So I think it is cream first. Spread that on. Plop the jam on. End of. Okay. Using structural integrity as an excuse for the wrong answer. Anna, I'm hoping you are going to redress the balance. No, I was going to say that I can never remember which way round it is because Devon has it one way and Cornwall has it the other way. Is that right? Correct. Genuinely, I'm a jam on the bottom and cream on top. And the only reason I do that is the jam is heavier and I don't like having the light fluffy cream and then putting a heavy bit of jam and then it just makes the cream go everywhere. So I put the heaviest thing on the bottom, the sticky thing, and then the light thing on the top, which in my mind, that's structural integrity. Yeah. Adhesion. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Adhesion, you know, density. It's getting very technical and it is proving to be a real divisive question. But... In the spirit of true journalism, you have total editorial balance here. Yeah, no, I'm completely unbiased. No, definitely. There's no there's no swaying it f- from me. I'm straight down the line, as you can tell. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more free and easy yeah. with it. <laughs> I'll go whichever Great way. Great stuff. Brilliant. Well, that's it for today's episode. A massive thank you to my guests, Anna Jones and Kendra Hall. Remember, episodes of Farming Focused are released every fortnight on Tuesdays. Please spread the word about the pod. Tell your farming friends. uh, Maybe discuss a couple of the showstoppers with people in your network over the next couple of days. We really want to be a part of your conversation. And to keep that going, you can contact us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Use that handle at Cornish Mutual. And please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Join us in another fortnight's time uh, when I'll be speaking to the brilliant Becky Wilson, who is always fascinating to chat with about carbon and how we need to focus on reducing our own farm carbon output to ensure that our farms are resilient. Please see the show notes for more information on today's episode, including the link to our podcast disclaimer. You've been listening to Farming Focus brought to you by Cornish Mutual. I've been Peter Green. Until next time, it's goodbye from me and everyone in the Cornish Mutual podcast team. Cornish Mutual, farming insurance experts. <laughs>